Well, good morning. Last two years, we've probably all asked this question, and if you all celebrated New Year's like me, we've kind of been trained to take a big deep breath, move into the next year, and wait for the next shoe to drop on something crazy that's going to happen, and you just stop and go, okay, now what? Some of you all don't know my uh, background, but um, I'm in marketing and work for a healthcare organization. I've been in that industry for nearly 20 years now. I'm that old. Um, and in that industry, we do a lot of mergers and acquisitions. For those of you who don't know what that means, my son's probably going, what in the world's merger acquisition? You get bought by a company, all the leadership tends to change. Uh, things are just constantly in turmoil because every time there's a purchase, something changes. In the last two years, the company I work for, we have bought and merged together seven companies. And every time that happens, we stop and say, now what? And what I've found is something we're going to talk about today. And what I've found is the good leaders in those organizations prepare their people for changes like that and prepare their people for being able to operate without the leader present. And Jesus, the greatest leader that there ever was, does that with his disciples. I know we wanted to move on from John. One more poke, Randy. We are going to still be in John today, but I'm going to show Randy how to move through three chapters in one day instead of trying to be in the book for a couple of years. So what we're going to start with is we're going to, we're going to look at what the difference in a leader and a boss is, and we're going to look at how Jesus led his disciples, and then we're going to talk about what that means for us. So first and foremost... Some of you probably understand this if you have a boss. Uh, There's a major difference, and again, from my side of the world, there's a difference in a boss and a leader. A boss tells you what to do, pretty simple. Their presence is what makes you capable of doing the things you need to do. Um, If they're gone, people can't function. A leader, however, teaches people why and how to do it, and they can be absent and their people can still be successful. Uh, spoiler alert, the disciples were successful when Jesus left. We all know that. As a leader, though, there's three things that I've seen in my world that also I see with what Jesus does with his disciples that made them successful. Number one, he set expectations for his disciples. Number two, he turned to people that were capable. And number three, he entrusted and empowered them. This is what happens in leadership and in good leadership. This is how you make your people successful. So we'll jump in and see how Jesus did all three of these things. Number one, answering the question for his people, what is expected? Again, good leaders help Uh, people understand what success should look like and Jesus does that with his disciples if you're in if you're in 
uh, and reading any, um, any of the, the first four books, you know that Jesus is setting his disciples up for his departure. <laughs> they don't get half of it, but he, he's setting them up and saying, you're going to need to know this with parables and stories and things like that. The one that really hit home on the expectations was when he talks about the parable of the talents or the parable of the gold bags. When he gets into this story, he's already talked about what the kingdom of God will be like. Um, but in Matthew 25, 14 through 30, this is the last time we'll be in Matthew, then I promise we'll jump over to John, Randy. He starts out the parable talking to his uh, disciples. I, I think it's funny that he says, again, he's trying to reiterate, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. We all know the story. To one, he gave five talents, or depending upon the version you read, five bags of gold, one he gave two, and one he gave one, to each as they were able. And then he left. And that's where the question of now what comes into this story. All three of those people had a choice to make on now what do I do? If you know the parable, which we all do, we know how it turned out. We know that two of them, uh, next slide there, Eric, that two of them doubled what they were given, and one of them froze up. Matthew 25, 25 says, when he uh, confronts the man who had buried his gold in the ground, he says, so I was afraid and I went and out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. If you remember the two that doubled it, the man said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. But the third one didn't know what to do and froze up. And he gets a talking to, a tongue lashing about you should have known what I wanted. And he gets what he was given, taken away and given to the one who had turned it into 10. See, he had a moment where the leader was gone. Two of them took it and ran, and one of them froze up and buried it. I think Jesus is alluding here to the disciples, hey, I'm not going to be here forever. This is a story you're going to need to remember. And remember, don't bury this. Don't go out and bury it. I expect you to do something with what I've given you. So he's setting the expectations with them. The next question that a good leader answers, that Jesus answers for his disciples, is the concept of am I capable? When you look at this question in leadership, there's two things that you want people to understand when you're answering about capability. It's number one, knowing exactly what you need to do, not just the expected outcome, but what do you need to do to get those things done? What are the steps? And then, if I fail, how do I deal with that? How do I know what failure looks like and how do I deal with it? This is where we get into the book of John. 
Jesus runs through this multiple times. It's like he's reiterating it uh, a lot. Number one, issue one, I don't know what to do. In John 14, 15 through 30, uh, Jesus is reminding the disciples to keep his commands. Um, and he says in 25, all this I've spoken to you while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He says, you'll know what to do because I'm not leaving you alone. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. Just because I'm not here doesn't mean that you don't have what you need to be capable. He does it again, uh, John 15, 1 through 17. This is the, uh, the vine and the branches section that we all uh, talk about a lot. Um, he reminds them to remain in him. He says uh, in 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from the Father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and just so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love each other. He does it again, John 16, 1 through 15. Brings back the Spirit again. He's preparing them at this time for uh, his departure and telling them that there's going to be a time when they're going to be persecuted. Uh, and he's, uh, again, states to them, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He reiterates once again, you're going to be capable because you're going to know what to do, not only because you've been with me and you know me, but because I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to deal with whatever comes up after I've left. Now the question of what if I fail? I like how Jesus wraps this one up. Because we all know you can feel like you can get something done, but the fear of failure can also make you bury things in the ground and hold on to something and cling on to it and worry that you're going to mess something up. Jesus, again, being the great leader that he is in John 16, 16 through 33, he tells them that they're going to fail. They're going to scatter from him. They're going to go to their homes and they're going to leave him alone. Um, but he tells them to take heart. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He's won. He's already won. So they can't fail. Finally, the last question he answers for them as a leader is, here's what I'm entrusting you with. Here's what I'm empowering you to go do. And going back to John 15, 17, he gives them the command to love each other. And you also know he said, go out into all the world and preach the good news, preach the gospel. And if you read what Paul says... Later on, he says, we have taken the gospel to the entire world. The entire world at that time was about 200 million people. 
Jesus left them, and he left them as a good leader, and they took it, and they didn't bury it in the ground. They multiplied it, did what they knew their master's will, Jesus' will was, and they took the gospel to the entire world in under 100 years. So the question is this. That's all great, awesome history lesson. What's that mean for us? What I think it means for us is in today's world, we either can bury what we've been given in the ground and hold on to it, or we can push in and take what we've been given, what we've been entrusted with, and grow it. There was a study done, Dunbar's number. Some of you may know about this, some of you may not. But the question of what we've been entrusted with is answered with Dunbar's number. This was a, um, a gentleman back in the 1990s. He was a British anthropologist, and he studied basically how many relationships do we think a person can actually manage in their life. And this is actually used, the, the 150 side of this number is used in social media um, of how big uh, of a group you can actually maintain. But on the lower end of this spectrum, understanding the five close friends that you can have, 15 super family members you can have. It's very interesting to me that Jesus had 12 disciples and that that falls in between that 15 and five number. He had 12 people that he poured into that he had close relationships with. And when he did it right, he changed the world with it and spread the gospel with it. So I want to show you something motivating to show you why I think we need to not bury into the ground what we've been given, but we need to push in and grow, um, grow what Jesus has given us. I'm gonna show you some fun math because I'm a geek and I like math. Let's say, let's just suppose that in this next year, each one of us figured out who our 12 people were that were our close relationships. And we did what Jesus commanded on the love each other side and pushed into those relationships, pointed them back to Jesus, and followed his commandments. Let's just say we did that. And then let's say that those 12 people, you follow me where I'm going, they do the same thing and it begins to expand. Let me show you what that expansion looks like. The first time through, 12 times 12 is 144 people. We'd reach everybody that went and watched uh, the Spider-Man movie this last week in a movie theater. Okay? So one round of multiplication, we've reached a movie theater. Multiply that another 12 times. If that group reaches another 12 people each, we've now reached the entirety of Kickapoo High School, freshman through senior class, even those that were held back. All of them. Multiply that another 12 times, we've reached the whole city of Ozark. Even though we've got half the population in the congregation here, we'd reach the rest of it. Multiply it another 12 times, we've got all of Greene County. It's four times through we've reached the entire county. We'll keep going. At five, we've got all of Arkansas. At six, the eight-state region around Missouri. At seven, the entirety of the United States and Canada. And at eight times, 65% of the world's population would be reached 
if we would do what Jesus asked the disciples to do. And we found our people and we pushed into them and we focused on that. We may think we've got only a small portion of the world that's at our hands. But what we've been given has the ability to multiply greatly and do amazing things. So, the question that I'll leave with you is this. For this year, instead of trying to think about how we adjust our waistlines and how many books we're going to read and what we're thinking about financially, who are your five? Start with that. If you want to push in even farther, who are your 15? But who are those people that you can change the world with by pushing into? We know what's expected because Jesus told us. We know we're capable because we know Jesus and we have his Holy Spirit. We also know what we've been entrusted with which is the people in our lives. So I would invite you to push in in 2022 and see if we can go change the world by loving those that we've been entrusted with. Would you pray with me real quick? And we thank you so much for this time together, Lord, and we thank you for uh, the ultimate leader, your son. Or we thank you for the people that you've entrusted us with in our lives, and we pray that you can guide us in loving them as Jesus showed us how to love people. And you can guide us in guiding them back to you. Be with us throughout this year, Lord. Help us to show the world you. Help us to not want to bury things in the ground. We love you so much and we thank you for your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Merciful God.